Good morning, everyone. It's really good to see you all this morning. Is it good to see me? Oh, dear. I'm in a bit of a frivolous mood today, so I'm warning you. At the very outset of my uh, talk this morning, I'm uh, a little bit woo this morning, so it could be an interesting ride for you this morning. Um, I want to ask a question today, which is about why do we bother with church? You may be thinking, yes, I'm thinking that right now. Why have I bothered to come this morning? Why bother with church? And that's kind of where I want to take us on a little journey this morning. And uh, it might be something that you've ever wondered. It might be something that you're wondering now. And there may be other things that you've wondered. And I'm going to read a little list. They're slightly humorous. You may feel led to laugh just to make me feel better. But uh, these are things that some people have wondered and um, you may have or you probably will after this. So have you ever wondered why doctors call what they do practice? There's a little bit of a concern, isn't there, in uh, that. Secondly, why don't sheep shrink when it rains? Oh, that was subtle, wasn't it? A few of you still struggling to get that one. Number three, why, have you ever wondered why the man who invests all your money is called a broker? The clue phone is ringing. Number four, why did we manage to put a man on the moon before we figured out it was a good idea to put wheels on luggage? (laughs) The simplest things. And finally, my personal favorite, uh, once you're in heaven, do you get stuck wearing the clothes you were buried in for eternity? Let's hope not, hey? (laughs) Looking at you this morning. I've got a slightly more worrying one of that, which is... um, Uh, do you, I used to have this fear, which was when you die, do you remain that same weight for eternity? (laughs) Always got me buying the slim fast. I've got traumas of being the same, you know, for eternity. It's a scary thought, isn't it? Have you ever wondered? And you may be wondering, as I say, especially now I've said all of that, why the heck you've bothered with church this morning? And there may be plenty of reasons, and we watched a little DVD clip earlier, didn't we, that some of the reasons why perhaps people don't do church, perhaps don't know what to wear again, what can I say? Uh, Don't know what to wear, they don't know what to say, they don't know where to sit, they don't know what to sing, it's all unfamiliar, they may have kind of concerns about the whole church thing. Some of it, I think, is internal reasons, like we get disappointed with life, or we get disappointed with God, or life is just challenging, or life gets busy, and there can be kind of internal reasons why we can't be bothered with church. Sometimes it's because we kind of disconnect from it because we don't think it's for us. It might be that we think church is for the really good singers like Lee. Uh, Church is for the really spiritual like Dan. Church is for the really tall like Shannon. Church is for the really short like me. Church is for the clever people, the black people, the white people, the young, the old, the whatever. But any of those disconnect you. You know, church is for them, but it's not for me. It might be an internal reason why you just think, church, I ain't bothered, it's not relevant, it's not for me. Or it might be some external things. And I've got a slide coming up here uh, in just a moment, which grieved me and angered me, but I just felt I needed to show you this. Sometimes church has done a great job of putting people off. And here we have some beautiful... Uh, church welcome notice boards uh, the first one I know it's small I tried this out yesterday I know it's small on your screen so what part of thou shalt not don't you understand 
pretty harsh. It gets worse. Uh, This one says, try Jesus. If you don't like him, the devil will take you back. This one, this one from the beautiful Ray of Hope Church says, how will you spend eternity smoking or non-smoking? And from the very lovely Rear of Joy Church, caution, exposure to the sun, S-O-N, may prevent burning. Shocking, isn't it? Kind of mildly humorous, but actually really shocking. And actually, when I saw those, I felt really grieved that that's what churches portray themselves to be. Judgmental, pious, holy than thou, condemnatory, we're right, you're wrong. Those kind of images people have of the church, and when you see things like that, you can see why. Why would you bother with a church like that? Why would you walk in the front door of a church like that? The reason it grieves me so much, I mean, people make mistakes. The church is not a building, as we know it is the people. And the reason why that grieves me so much is because that isn't the heart of God. There's no way God would put a sign out like that. It grieves, I'm sure, the heart of God that that is how the church is presenting him to the world. So I can understand why you may be put off. Winston Churchill said, I relate to the church like a flying buttress. I felt I'd put a picture on in case you didn't know what a flying butt was. So here we have a flying buttress to a building. He said, I relate to the church like a flying buttress to the building. I'm happy to support it from the outside. And I think a lot of people are like, they think the church, think church is good, it's okay, it's for other people, and I'm happy to kind of endorse it from the outside. But why do billions of people bother with church? Why do we bother? Why do this morning, across this planet, billions of people will be pitching up to a church Maybe a bit like this, maybe nothing like this, but why do people pitch up for church? Why do people bother? I'm going to take you through uh, some reasons this morning. Um, I'm trialing the flip chart, trying to catch up with the boys and their flip chart cleverness. Went a bit wrong at the nine, so uh, we'll see what happens at the 11. Okay, now I've given myself a head start this time round, because that's where it went wrong last time. Anyway, okay, I know this looks a bit like a church building, and as you know, the church isn't the building, it is the people, it is the, the body of believers, it is God's family, it is the church, not the building. But I'm going to demonstrate here through 10 points, can you believe that? No three points sermon this morning, 10 points. So settle your cheeks in, okay, it's going to be a long morning. So, First of all, why do I come to church? Why do you come to church? I asked people in the week, had some very interesting um, answers to that question. But it made me think, yes, I've done church for most of my life, but why? Yes, I'm on staff here, so it kind of helps. But, uh, but if I wasn't, why, why do I church? Why do I bother with church? Even if I wasn't on staff here, would, you know, I would still do church in a big way. Why, why do I bother with church? So here's my kind of 10 pointers you this morning and we're going to go through them fairly swiftly so firstly because it's a place to belong I had an experience of not belonging 10 years ago and I'm still trying to get over it which was to do with Romsley village now I was corrected at the nine o'clock that it wasn't Romsley it was Huntington but anyway Huntington still Romsley to me So 10 years ago, you may remember, September 2000 was the petrol strike. And I was working for Youth for Christ at the time. 
and uh, I was involved with a program where we ran um, an academy down at Luton University and I was running an evangelism academy for Youth for Christ at Luton University and I needed to get to Luton which requires petrol. And uh, so I'd been chasing around the, the neighbourhood trying to find petrol and somehow found myself driving up through Romsley. And there's a gorgeous little uh, petrol station there. It's got Rolls Royces behind it in the, in the garage, just my kind of uh, garage. And um, I pulled in and the amazing thing was Romsley had petrol. Yeah, hey, I need to get to Luton. I have an empty car. Here we go. So I pulled into the petrol station and uh, the man who had his uh, pump at the ready said to me, are you from the village? I said, uh, foolishly, I told the truth. <laughs> and I said, no, no, I'm not. He said, well, I have no petrol for you. It's okay, I'm getting over it. <laughs> it took me 10 years. I'm nearly there. And I immediately, I felt embarrassed. I felt I shouldn't have driven in there. I felt I could never go to Romsley again. There's this village thing going on. And uh, I felt that, um, you know, I didn't belong. I didn't fit. You know, I wasn't the right person at the right pump at the right time. And it's very easy, isn't it, to feel like you're a misfit, that you don't belong. And one of the things I think is fantastic about the church is it should be a place where everyone belongs. See, it doesn't matter if you're a nerd or an intellect or you're black or you're white, you're young or you're old or you're disabled or you're healthy or you're rich or you're poor or you're full of faith or you're doubting or you're seeking or you're whatever. Church is for you. It's a place where you can come as you are. You don't have to be something that you're not. It's a place that you can come to just as you are and God loves that. It's a place where you can belong irrespective of where you're at and what you do and who you are. And years ago, the church was in a, not a good state in that it used to have a thing of you needed to believe the right things in order to then behave the right way to then belong and be accepted into a church. So as long as you believe the right things, behave the right way, you then will be accepted. But the fantastic thing about the church in the last decade or so is that there's been a big swift, uh, you know, shift in that. And actually now you belong first. Then you may start to believe and then you may start to change your lifestyle. But that isn't what's most important. It's the fact that actually God loves you just as you are. And he wants to get to know you and he wants to touch your life and he wants to be involved in your life. You need to be able to know that you can belong and everything else then flows out of that. So it's a place of belonging. But secondly, it's a place to sing. Which we've done already this morning with great gusto. Okay, this is the charts as of yesterday. It'll change again today. Alexandra Burke is at number one, Teo Cruz at number two, and Katy Perry at number three. And they have got perhaps some interesting things to be singing about. You know, we live in a singing world, don't we? Everywhere you hear singing. There's probably a lot of singing at the West Brom yesterday as they beat Arsenal. There's a lot of things that people sing, but they're not necessarily great things. Sometimes I find myself singing along, and I'm sure you've done this to a song on the radio because it's got a catchy tune, and then you suddenly realize the weirdness of what you're singing or the really dodginess of what you're singing, and then you're trying to woo, backtrack. We do live in a world that sings, and it's great to sing, but the thing about church that I love is that we sing about truth. We sing about a God that's real. It's not just, well, my life's going great, so I'm going to sing a happy song, or my life's going rubbish, so I'm going to sing a sad song. We sing eternal truths. And a lot of the songs that we sing here are scripture. So we actually sing scripture over our own lives and over other people's. 
a lot of the kind of songs that we use, and we are careful of what we use in terms of worship and singing, a lot of them are taken straight out of Scripture. So we're singing of something eternal, something dynamic, something divine. I can sing Alexander Burke to feel funky. I can sing Michael Bublé to feel chilled. I can sing Frank Sinatra to feel nostalgic. I can sing country to feel depressed. I once had a dog. My dog died. I bought another dog. He died too. Now you know why I'm not in the worship. Or maybe you're not. But we sing about a God who can transform our lives. It's not about the ups and downs of life. It's about eternal truths that will never change. Church is a place to sing about some great things. Thirdly, it's a place to grow. Kind of building a picture here. I won't be filling on all these in case you're worried. A place to grow. God loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. What a great message that is. A guy called Max Licardo wrote that. God loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. In John 15, it says, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Remain in you and you will grow. You will be fruitful. Our lives really begin to grow and expand when we're connected to Jesus and we're part of his church. Church is a place for your soul to grow. I can go to the gym to build muscle. I can, you know, eat lots of food to grow bigger. But actually for my soul to grow, my character to grow, and me to grow as a person, church is a great place for that. Iron sharpens iron, doesn't it? When we meet together and connect with one another, we sharpen one another. George, George Bernard Shaw said, My greatest regret is seeing the man I could have been but never was. My greatest regret is seeing the man I could have been but never was. And I don't want to get to the end of my days and think, well, that was the person Janet could have been but never was. That's all the potential that there was in her life, but she only reached such a small fraction. And being part of church helps me grow, helps me become everything that I could be. Fourthly, church is a place of encouragement. There's uh, the lion from the Wizard of Oz getting his badge of courage. The word encouragement means literally to put courage in somebody. So when you encourage somebody, it means to put courage into them. Or perhaps like the lion, it's just calling out of them the courage that was always there. And I, I quite like to think of myself as a courageous person. I've deluded myself into thinking I'm quite courageous. I've done some courageous things in my life. But that all kind of came to a, an abrupt halt by an experience I had yesterday. Yesterday I was working at my laptop and uh, I was, you know, going through my notes, having a look at this and got to this. And I was thinking, yes, I'm a person of courage. And uh, I started to pack my things away. And at that precise moment, as I shut my laptop and I picked up my laptop bag, a ginormous, fat-headed, fat-legged spider landed on the top of my laptop. After the screaming had stopped and I'd recovered myself to a place of composure, I had a standoff with the spider on the laptop. I stood, because if you're frightened of spiders, that's what you do. You stay and watch them to see where they might go next. So I'm standing, staring at the spider. The spider is standing, staring at me. We are in a standoff. Janet versus the big, fat, hairy spider. And I thought I must be winning this because the spider is not moving. 
In fact, the spider seems as though he's more frightened of me than I am of him. So I took a closer look, feeling courageous. It was at this point I realized it was a tomato stalk. that bubble you had of me has just burst. I've been sat at my laptop eating tomatoes out of a punnet, pulling the stalks off and they were randomly littered and obviously one, and as I flicked it, this one had landed on my, so now you know it's official in front of 500 people over the course of this morning, you all know Janet is officially frightened of tomato stalks. Glad I could share that with you. But it's amazing how some things that are so tiny can make us very frightened. Uh, But there are some big things in life to be frightened of. And church is a place where you can come and people can put courage into you. Let me read you something from Acts chapter 14. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city What a fantastic story. Well, not the fact that Paul got stoned, but the Jews had stoned Paul. They dragged him out as though he was dead. The disciples gathered around him, we presume, prayed, and suddenly Paul is okay again, and he heads straight back into the situation. That's what church does, doesn't it? It doesn't necessarily take you out of your situations, but it gives you courage to go back into them and support from other people. A place of encouragement. It's a place to give. You go to work to get paid, you go to the supermarket to get food, you go to the gym to get fit or thin or both, you go to the cinema to get entertained, you go to the doctor to get well, you go to the hairdresser to get a hairdo, you go to the garage to get your car fixed or your wallet emptied, you go to the Merry Hill to get a little crazy, but you go to church to give, something very different about being a part of a church. And a guy called Philip Yancey, who's a Christian writer, says this, Our need to give is every bit as desperate as the recipient's need to receive. Our need to give is every bit as desperate as the recipient's need to receive. Acts 20 says, you should remember what Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than receive. But why is that? Why is it more blessed to give than receive? Why is it good for us to give? I don't know. No. I've come to the conclusion it's because we were created in the image of God. And God is a generous, giving God. And there's something about when we give, we resonate with who we really are. We resonate with the core of how God created us to be. There's a, there's a synergy there. There's a harmony, a congruency of who we really are as a person. That's why something goes good inside of you when you give. Because there's a resonation of actually this is who I am meant to be. We were designed to give. It's in our DNA. God created us, generous, giving, selfless, sacrificial. And every time we give, we become more like we are supposed to be. And this is a very giving church. And uh, I brought this along as I got, uh, I was received this uh, just this week, 23rd of September, it's dated. And as a church, uh, we launched the uh, food bank a year ago. And Dank's got that all, uh, all up and running. And it's now been running a year. We just had our first birthday. And I got this certificate from the food bank next door, Uh, as I say, just this week, to say that this church has donated into the food bank one tonne of food. So well done, everybody. That's a giving church, isn't it? 
one tonne of food. We've actually given out to clients, not the best term I know, but to people that need food, nearly three times that. So we are giving out a lot of food from here during the week with the food bank team. But this church, you, you have given between you over the past year one tonne of food. What a great church to be a part of, a church that gives. <clears throat> Number six, a place of support. Put that down at the bottom, like a foundational thing. One of my favourite stories when I grew up in Sunday school back in Norwich was the story of the disciples that took their friend to Jesus on a mat. I just love the fact that they took the roof off. Something really kind of activist about that that I like. And, uh, you know, their friend was paralysed. He needed to get to Jesus so Jesus could heal him. He obviously couldn't get there. Then the house was full. They couldn't get in the house. So the disciples carried him on a mat, then up into the roof and lowered him through the roof. And that's a picture of church, isn't it? that we can help carry one another. And the reason I put Frodo and Sam up there is because that's my favourite bit of the whole episode that is the um, Lord of the Rings that goes on for days. This one moment made it worth it for me when Frodo has to carry this ring and he needs to destroy it because of the powers that it contains. And uh, he gets to this point where he absolutely can go no further. And Sam says this brilliant thing to his friend, he says, I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. What a great line. I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. I cannot carry your personal burdens as much as my heart would want to. Your relational situation, your financial situation, your health situation, your marriage, your job, your education, your whatever challenges that you have this morning, I can't take them off you. I can't carry them for you, but I can help carry you. The church is supposed to be a place of support that carries one another to Jesus, that takes the person to the person that can. I know a man who can. That person is Jesus, a place of support. Number seven, we're nearly there. Still with me, everyone? That was a half-hearted. place to serve. One of the adverts on the telly at the moment that does my head in, and I nearly want to at the screen when I see it, it's been going for about three years, is the L'Oreal advert. You guys are thinking, what L'Oreal advert? But does girls know the one? And uh, it usually advertises some makeup or some beauty product, generally shampoo or something. And the line that goes with it, because you're worth it, and it jars against me <laughs> like I can't tell. I hate that. I hate that self-indulgent, consumeristic life that we have in the Western world that's all about me because I'm worth it. Pamper me. I can't be doing with that. Now, you are worth it. You are worth everything. Jesus gave his life for you. Jesus cleanses you, forgives you of all of your sin. Jesus died for you so that you could know him. You know, when Jesus went to the cross, he said, I would rather die than live without you. Because by going to the cross meant you could know God and you could experience Jesus. You are worth everything to God. But it's not so that we sit on our cheeky backsides and feel self-indulgent and feel well, we're worth it. It's so that you, out of the fullness that God's done in your life, begin to serve a dying and a lost world. The fullness that God says, you're worth all of this, is so that you can then go and bless others. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11. 
This is uh, taken from the message translation, so uh, it's quite poetic in how it's written, but uh, this is just a great verse. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. Don't get fenced in. The smallest you feel comes from yourself. Your life isn't small, but you're living it in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives, live openly and expansively. You see, when you only look after you, your world gets very small. It gets this kind of size. But when you serve and when you give and you, li- you begin to live a bigger life, you begin to live an expansive, open, incredible. Let's just look, give you a little taste. So that was from last year. Just want to encourage you this morning. If you haven't signed up yet, the sign up is just at the back there. Uh, me and uh, Dan's wife, Rachel Bennett, were uh, matching all the jobs to people uh, last week. And then we're finishing that off this week. So if you haven't signed up already, please make sure you do that. Because I need to know how many people I've got so I can confirm with people there jobs are going to be done. Isn't it great when the church does things like that? And it isn't about itself. It's saying to its local community, we actually care enough to get our hands dirty to do something to help you, even if it is just drinking cups of tea. Last few things, a place of vision. Church is a place of vision. I'm going to rattle through these last ones just to give you hope. Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, without vision, people perish. And I see that so much. When people don't have a vision of life getting better, they die inside. There's something about when we lose vision of a preferable future or something working out or a breakthrough coming or a shift happening, there's something inside of us can die. It's hope, isn't it? Hope that gets lost and something inside us dies. And when I come to church and when I'm around you guys, my life gets contextualized into the bigger picture of what life is about. Suddenly, my small little life that I live in Juniper Rise, please don't visit today, um, I haven't got tea for all of you. Um, My little life that I live suddenly becomes way bigger. And suddenly I become part of this journey that started, you know, at the creation of time with God that has gone on for thousands of years. And then suddenly Janet arrives in 1964 and uh, birthday 27th of February. And I (laughs) make a note. And it goes on until, you know, the day I breathe my last. And then it will go on into eternity. And suddenly my life has significance. Suddenly my life is a jigsaw piece in this incredible journey of God's kingdom and God's creation and his life and his world. Suddenly, this small life that I live, suddenly I get a bigger vision. I get a bigger vision of my own life. I get a bigger vision of your life. I get a bigger vision of who God is. And suddenly my life takes on new meaning. Number nine, place of truth. Similar to what I've just said, I suppose, place of truth. It's a place where things can get realigned because out there they can get really muddly, can't they? And an example of this happened again this week. Um, On Monday, I went into Lidl. I love Lidl. Lidl is my favorite shop. And I went into Lidl, and I was buying a few bits and bobs, lots of fresh fruit and lots of veg, and a bottle of wine. And I got to the till, and it was all being scanned through. And then I got to the wine, and I clocked, you know, this guy that was serving, he looked about 18, had a little chat with him beforehand pushing the stuff through, and uh, he said, uh, got to the wine, said, have you got ID? (laughs) I love Lidl. (laughs) Well, I could could hardly carry on. I started to laugh. I thought, bless his heart. (laughs) 
And um, I said, uh, do you know, that hasn't been said to me in a long, long time. He said, I can't imagine why. Me notes. Oh. And then he, he just grinned with this little cheeky grin. And I just, that was it. I came out of there beaming <laughs> and deluded. <laughs> oh, I, I can't remember who it was. I came back to work. I was still laughing when I got back to work and I was telling somebody. And, uh, but yes, church is a place of reality, isn't it? A truth. You know, I could live in a deluded world that I look 18. Well, clearly at 46, that's not possible. (laughs) It's a place where I can kind of come and get my life realigned. You know, when I'm out there, it gets really messed up sometimes. I start to think, well, actually, I'm quite a rubbish person, really. And God must really be fed up with me. And I come here and I'm reminded, actually, God thinks I'm great. And yes, I don't get it right all the time. But he still thinks I'm fantastic because he loves me just as I am. And I can think, gosh, I can't work out how this problem is going to happen or that problem's and that problem's so big, God's so small and God's smaller than the big problem and how is that all going to work out? And then I get realigned to the truth that God is greater than anything that I face. There's a plumb line, isn't it? There's a marker, there's a, there's a true north on my compass when I come to church and I find out actually my perspective has gone a little warped and actually let's get it realigned to the truth. Jesus said in John, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, when you know the truth, it has a liberating effect, doesn't it? It shakes you from the shackles and the chains of worry and fear and anxiety and doubt and self-condemnation. The truth will set you free. Okay, well done, everybody. Number 10. Church is a place of remembrance and celebration. You see, as people, we're really good at forgetting what we should remember and remembering what we should forget. And every, it's probably monthly here, uh, we have communion. It's not just about communion, but it's a place to come and remember. Remember what Jesus has done for us. Remember his sacrifice. Remember that he's accomplished everything on the cross for our salvation and for our healing. And that gives us a place to celebrate because it's easy for us to forget that, isn't it, in the busyness and the distractions of life. It's a place where we can come back and remember who God is, who Jesus is, what he's done for us and celebrate from that place. He said, do this in remembrance of me when he broke bread with the disciples. Do this to remember because you know what? He knew we would forget. He wants to remind us that he's given his life for us, that he's forgiven and forgotten our sin, that he's provided a way for us to connect with God, that he's given us new life and he's enabled eternity for us. Just some of the things that God would maybe want to remind you of this morning. I showed you some church signs earlier, and here's a bit of a better one to kind of end on. Again, quite small, but it says, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. That's a bit more of the heart of God, isn't it, being demonstrated there, rather than the pointing the finger and the condemnation. And I'm sure God does have refrigerator, and I've no doubt your picture is on it, because he carries you in his heart all of the time. One final thing, really, and then I'm going to read uh, a story to conclude. In all of this, as I said right at the beginning, I know I've drawn this as a building, 
And I'm trying to kind of reiterate, I suppose, as I've gone through this morning, that church isn't the building, although we meet in a building. It really is the family of God. It's, it's a place where we gather as Christians together and people who are new to faith to, you know, yes, enjoy some of that. But actually, the reason why I think church is so fantastic, apart from anything else, and apart from obviously primarily being about my relationship with God, church for me, I think it's fantastic because it's de- it is where I was designed to be. When God created me, he created me to know him, to be in relationship with him. When that isn't happening, I am out of sorts. And when that happens, I then need to get plugged into a local church because that was also in God's heart for me. He wanted me to be part of a church. He wanted me to be part of a body of believers. He wanted me to be a part of you lot. Sorry. He wants me here with you. This is actually what God desires for all humanity that they are in relationship with him and then in relationship with other Christians. And when we're both of those, life begins to really flow. That's why church is so fantastic, because it's actually about being who we are designed to be. In Philip Yancey's book, not Philip Yancey, John Altborg's book that we were looking at last month, the me I'm supposed to be, or the me I want to be, he talks about being the finest version of yourself. And I find when I'm a part of a church, I start to become the finest version of myself because of you and my interactions with you and the the way you inspire me and the way you encourage me and the way you challenge me, I start to become a finer version of myself. So why not you? Let me put you in here. Lots of pieces that we probably could talk about and haven't got time. What about you? Because I think when you're not here, we miss you. When you're not here, God misses you because you, as I said, were designed to be a part of this. And when your peace isn't there, you miss out, but so do we. So why not you? Let me read you this final story because this probably, uh, as much as any story, inspires me about what church is, why I bother with church, what kind of church I want to be a part of. It has been read before, uh, so it may be familiar to you, but this is kind of my parting shot to you this morning or my parting encouragement. It's called, well, I won't tell you what it's called, but it's a story by Tony Campolo. If you live on the East Coast and travel to Hawaii, you know that there is a time difference that makes three o'clock in the morning feel like nine. With that in mind, you will understand that whenever I go out to the 50th state, I find myself wide awake long before dawn. Not only do I find myself up and ready to go with almost everybody, sorry, not only do I find myself up and ready to go while almost everybody else is still asleep, but I find that I want breakfast when almost everywhere is closed, which is why I ended up wandering up and down the streets of Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning, looking for a place to get something to eat. Up a side street, I found a little place that was still open. I went in, took a seat on one of the stools at the counter and waited to be served. This was one of those sleazy places that deserves the name Greasy Spoon. I mean, I did not even touch the menu. I was afraid that if I opened, if I opened the thing, something gruesome would crawl out, perhaps a tomato stalk. <laughs> but it was the only place I could find. The fat guy behind the counter came over and asked me, what do you want? I told him a cup of coffee and a donut. He poured a cup of coffee, wiped his grimy hand on his smudged apron, and then grabbed with his bare hands a donut off the shelf behind him. I'm a realist, and I know that in the back, in the back room of the restaurant, donuts are probably dropped on the floor and kicked about for fun. But when everything is out front, 
where you can see it. I'd really appreciate it if you'd use some tongs and some paper. As I sat there munching my donut and si sipping my coffee at 3.30 in the morning, the door of the, di the door of the diner suddenly swung open, and to my discomfort in marched eight or nine provocative and boisterous prostitutes. It was a small place, and they sat on either side of me. Their talk was loud and crude. I felt completely out of place and was just about to make a getaway when I heard, overheard the woman sitting next to me say, Tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. Her friend responded in a nasty tone, So what do you want from me, a birthday party? What do you want? You want me to get you a cake or something and sing happy birthday? Come on, said the woman. Why do you have to be so mean? I was just telling you. That's all. Why do you have to put me down? I was just telling you it's my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why would you give me a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party my whole life. Why would I want one now? When I heard that, I made a decision. I sat and waited until the, woman had le the women had left. Then I called over the fat guy behind the counter and said, do they come in here every night? Yeah, he answered. The one right next to me, does she come here every night? Yeah, he said, that's Agnes. She comes in here every night. Why do you want to know? Because I heard her say that tomorrow's her birthday. What do you think about us throwing a birthday party for her right here tomorrow night? A smile crossed his chubby face and he answered with measured delight. That's great. I like it. That's a great idea. Calling to his wife, who did the cooking in the back, he said, Hey, come out here. This guy's got a great idea. Tomorrow's is Agnes's birthday. And this guy wants us to go in with him and throw a birthday party for her right here tomorrow night. His wife came out of the back all bright and smiley. She said, That's wonderful. You know, Agnes is one of those people who's really nice and kind and nobody ever does anything nice for her. Look, I said, if it's okay with you, I'll get back here tomorrow morning about 2.30 and decorate the place. I'll even get a cake. No way, said Harry. That was his name. The birthday cake's my thing. I'll make the cake. At 2.30 the next morning, I was back at the diner. I picked up some crepe paper decorations at the store and made a sign out of big pieces of cardboard that read, Happy Birthday, Agnes. I decorated the diner from one end to the other. They had to admit that diner looked good. The woman who did the cooking must have gotten the word out because by 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. <laughs> it was wall-to-wall -wall prostitutes and me. At 3.30 on the dot, the door of the diner swung open and in came Agnes and her friend. I had everybody ready. After all, I was the MC. And when they came in, we all screamed, Happy birthday! Never have I seen a person so flabbergasted, so stunned, so shaken. Her mouth fell open, her legs seemed to buckle, and her friend grabbed to steady her. As she was led to one of the stools along the counter, we all sang happy birthday to her. As we came to the end of the singing, happy birthday, dear Agnes, happy birthday to you, her eyes moistened, and then when the birthday came, came out with all the candles, she lost it and openly cried. Harry gruffly mumbled, blow out the candles, Agnes, come on, blow out the candles. If you don't blow out the candles, I'm going to have to blow them out. After an endless few seconds, he finally did. Then he handed her a knife and said, cut the cake, Agnes. Go on, Agnes, we all want some cake. Agnes looked down at the cake, then without taking her eyes off it, she slowly and softly said, look, Harry, is it all right with you if, I mean, is it okay if, if I kind of, well, what I want to ask you is, well, is it, is it okay if I keep the cake a little while? I mean, is it all right if we don't eat it straight away? Harry shrugged and said, sure, it's okay. If you want to keep the cake, keep the cake. Take it home if you want. Can I, she said. Then looking at me, she said, I live just down the street a couple of doors. 
I want to take that home and show my mother. Will that be okay? I'll be right back. She got off the stool, picked up the cake, and carrying it like it was the Holy Grail, walked slowly toward the door, and we all stood there motionless when she left. When the door closed, there was a stunned silence in the place. Not knowing, else, not knowing what else to do, I broke the silence by saying, What do you say? Shall we pray? <laughs> Looking back on it now, it seems more than a strange... More than more than strange for a sociologist to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner at Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning. But it felt just like the right thing to do. I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed that her life would be changed and that God would bless her and be good to her. When I finished, Harry leaned over the counter and said, Hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? In one of those moments when just the right words seemed to come, I answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry waited a moment and said, no, you don't. <laughs> There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. Isn't that a great story? I want to be that person. I want to be a part of a church like that, that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning, that follows a God that says, come as you are, you belong here, there's a place for you here, there's a fit for you that's missing if you're not here. That's why I bother with church. Let me pray and I'm going to hand back to Lee to conclude our time together. God, I want to thank you for people like Agnes who remind us what real life can sometimes be about and the church can be so disconnected from it. But God, I want to thank you that when I look at you, you are a God of amazing grace. A God that loves me, a God that loves us unconditionally, a God that's faithful and true, and a God that wants us to be in relationship with him and in a church community. God, I love the fact that you left the church for us to be a part of, that that was your legacy that Jesus left. And God, I pray that we as a church would be that kind of church that is accepting, that is serving, that is given, that is supportive, that has vision and truth. God, we want to be something that's genuinely authentic in a world where authenticity is so washed down. God, I want to pray for anyone here today that doesn't perhaps normally do church or doesn't still see you or see the relevance of you. God, I just pray by your Holy Spirit, would you draw them to yourself? God, I pray that this morning they would have caught a glimpse of a God that loves them and is passionate about them and the finite details of their life. God, I pray that we as a church would be everything that we possibly could be in your dreams and desires for us. God, thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy, for your forgiveness, for your compassion. God, we thank you for Jesus and all that he accomplished for us.